We all start on the outside, the outside looking in. This is where grace begins. We were hungry, we were thirsty, with nothing left to give. Oh, the shape that we were in. And just when all hope seemed lost, love opened the door for us. He said, Come to the table, come join the sinners who have been redeemed. Take your place beside the Savior. Sit down and be set free. Come to the table. Good morning, church family. Today we're looking at part five of Where's Jesus in our series. And we look, we're up to John chapter three. In the past, we've been looking at how John looks back into the Old Testament and he finds examples of Jesus in the Old Testament and uses them as evidence, if you like, that Jesus is the Messiah. And when the Old Testament picks up this idea, it actually magnifies what we understand about Jesus and gives us new insight, if you like, into what Jesus is actually, who he is and what he's going to do. So the Old Testament is not just a collection of stories of the history of Israel. It's actually uh, like a jigsaw puzzle, as I've talked about before. A jigsaw puzzle where each piece of the puzzle has actually got an image of Jesus on it, and it makes up this big picture of Jesus as the Messiah. It's more like a mosaic, if you like, or a tapestry where each thread of Jesus and aspects of Jesus actually makes up this bigger picture and each thread has a different aspect and it's woven all the way through history and it's all proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that's been promised. The Old Testament is a little bit like John the Baptist. He himself, he says, is not the Christ but he's actually pointing to the Christ and the one to come the one who's going to take away the sin of the world. And the Old Testament's a lot like that. It actually points toward Jesus. The Old Testament is known as the Word of God. And in John chapter 1, John says that the Word became flesh. And I just love that imagery that the, the whole of the Old Testament is actually encapsulated in Jesus, that he is actually the living Word, the walking Word of God. And I want to focus on just one question today. And this is it. Why has this word become flesh? Why has Jesus come? Today, in John chapter 3, Jesus is in a discussion with a guy called Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a Jewish leader known as a Pharisee. Nicodemus says that we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miracles and the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. So why have you come? It's the unspoken question that Nicodemus actually doesn't verbalise, but Jesus answers. His answer is like a sword to the heart of this Pharisee, and I think it'll be like a sword to our heart as well. So let's read this exciting encounter in John chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. There was a man named Nicodemus, who is a Jewish leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. So why is this Jewish leader 
this Pharisee, coming to speak to Jesus at night. What does he want to know? Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus didn't really even ask that question. And Jesus' answer seems like it just been pulled out of context of the conversation, pulled out of the air. And understandably, Nicodemus says, what do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb again and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wants to, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. And so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. So what's missing for us in this passage is the context of the conversation. Jesus obviously knew the context, but for us it's like listening to two stockbrokers talk about the stock market and we hear what they're saying, but really what they're saying doesn't make sense, or at least it doesn't to me. So let's just take a minute to look at the context of this story. Who are the Pharisees? What's their purpose? What do they believe? The Pharisees just appear in the New Testament. There's no mention of them in the Old Testament. And they seem to be accepted by the general population as teachers of the law. But here's the issue. What language was the Bible originally written in? The answer is ancient Hebrew is written in Hebrew. But in exile around 500 BC, much of the Hebrew language was lost because a Persian king named King Darius forced Israel to go into exile and speak their language. And so they started speaking Aramaic. And books like Daniel and Ezra were all written in Aramaic. And then in 300 BC, Alexander the Great came and and taught everyone to speak Greek. And so in Jesus' day, what was the language that was being spoken? It was Aramaic. It was, Jesus was speaking Aramaic. But the majority of people, the majority of Jews, Israel, did not understand Hebrew or could speak it or read it. It was a language that had been lost to them. Most were either speaking Aramaic or Greek. So, enter the scholar. These are the people who could actually read Hebrew and speak it and speak in Aramaic as well. And so they developed this idea of teaching the Word of God in synagogues, not in the temples. And it was taught, they were teaching these word, the Word of God not by priests but by laymen or scholars who were studying the Word of God. And so this group of Bible teachers became known as Pharisees. And they were interpreting the Word of God from Hebrew into Aramaic. And they were highly regarded by the people because they held the heritage of Israel in their hands. They taught people about the Sabbath requirements. They taught about the ritual laws of purity. They taught about the strict dietary laws and regulations for tithing. And the name Pharisee means the ones who are separate. And they created their own exclusive community called a Haveroth, which means 
the table of the table fellowship of friends. The Pharisees were really keen to invite Jesus, who was a teacher who understood Hebrew and was interpreting the law, to hear what he had to say. And so they invited him to this Haveroth, where this this table fellowship. But imagine their horror when Jesus would accept an invitation from a tax collector or a sinner to go and eat with them. Or imagine their horror in Luke chapter 7, where Jesus actually invited to the Pharisee's house. And midway through this meal, a prostitute comes in. She, she lays at Jesus' feet. She starts weeping. She starts crying and, and dropping tears on his feet and wiping them with her hair and kissing his feet and then pouring perfume all over them. Can you imagine the uproar of that day? The, the Pharisees would have been, who is this person? In fact, that's what one of them said. He said to himself in Luke chapter 7, verse 39, If this man were a prophet, he would know that what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. This was a powerful group of men. They held in their hands the law of God. And what they taught was an oral interpretation of that law. And no one could question it. It wasn't written, the Hebrew Bible wasn't written in Aramaic, and so no one could question what they're actually saying. That makes them a cult. That makes them a law unto themselves. And the everyday sinner had no choice to accept what they said if they wanted to be made right with God. I'll say that again. If you wanted to be made right with God, you had no other choice but to accept what they taught. Enter Jesus. He goes to the synagogue, and because he can speak Hebrew, he's considered as a teacher. And all the Pharisees even call him teacher or rabbi. Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that God has sent you to teach us. Why does he say that? Well, because not only can Jesus speak and read Hebrew, but Jesus' interpretation is far different from any of the Pharisees. And so all the people started to follow Jesus. These guys started to lose their power. These people were hungry to hear the word of God as Jesus taught it. They were desperate to hear what God had to say to them. And it's recorded that no one has ever taught like this man. And Nicodemus knew this all too well. And so not to lose face in front of his peers, he goes to speak to Jesus secretly or at night. And to find out who is Jesus and why has he come. And so Jesus goes straight to the issue of being made right with God in this conversation. And that's why it's a little hard to follow. Verse 5 says, Jesus replied, I assure you that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and the spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. So Jesus was addressing the elephant in the room. He knew that the Pharisees had put barriers in place for people to come to know God. And so Jesus went straight to the issue of salvation. In verse 10, Jesus said, You are a respected Jewish leader. And yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you these, about these earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven, 
As Moses lifted up the bronze snake and the pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now Jesus is speaking Nicodemus' language. Nicodemus knows this story. It's pretty clear to him that he's speaking about Numbers chapter 21 and the story of when God and Moses were leading the people through the desert and the people started to grumble and complain. And so God sent this, this group of, what do you call a group of snakes? God sent poisonous snakes to attack the people and, and bit them and many of them died. And so they cried out to Moses. They said, we have sinned. Pray to the Lord to take away the snakes. And so the Lord told Moses, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to the pole. And all who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. And Nicodemus still looks confused, I can imagine. So Jesus says, verse 16, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Yes, Nicodemus is thinking, but what about the law? What about the rituals? What about the ceremony? What about the cleansing? What about the unclean and the clean and all of that? And Jesus continues, verse 18, There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. And all who do evil hate the light, and they refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. Those who do what is right come to the light, so that others can see they are doing what God wants. So Jesus did not come into the world to judge the world. He came to represent the love of God, the love God has for the world. He came for those sinners who are hiding from, for fear of being judged. He's, they're hiding for fear that their sin will be exposed. Jesus says to the sinner, fear no more. Come, come to me, come to the table. Simply look to me, look to, the, look to the Son and you will be saved. And that's the message for everyone. It's a message for every tribe, for every sinner, for every kind of sin. Everyone, anyone who looks to the Son will be saved. Jesus was a huge threat to the Pharisees. He almost made them irrelevant because what Jesus was saying made their message irrelevant. There's another way to God, and it's not through law, it's not through works, it's through the Son. The day the church loses sight of this passage is the day the church becomes irrelevant as well. The day the church starts pointing their finger of judgment at people and, say to, and says to people, you're not welcome, that's the day the church stops being a representative of God's love. There are sinners desperate to come to God. But fear of judgment by this exclusive table group of fellowship prevents them from coming. And we know how Jesus feels about barriers being placed in front of Gentile sinners. That's not the table that Jesus sits at. Our culture is doing its best to divide. 
it divides people into tribes, into groups, into categories, into labels. The clean, the unclean, the vaccinated or the unvaccinated. And the day the church takes on the role of deciding who's in and who's out, who are sinners and who's not, that's the day we become irrelevant. All have sinned, the Bible says, there is no one righteous, not even those who claim to be righteous, like Pharisees. If you recognise that you're a sinner and you want to be restored with God, if you want your relationship restored with your Creator, then simply look to the Son, look to Jesus and be saved. Recognise that He's the Son of God. Believe in your heart that He's died on the cross to take the penalty for your sin. Come, accept His invitation, come to the table. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much that you died. I look to you. I believe that you are the Son of God that's taken away my sin. And I lay down my life of sin. I confess that I'm no better than a Pharisee who is full of judgment and condemnation. I'm a sinner. And I recognize that I've put barriers between you and those seeking to be saved. I repent of my sinful ways and I seek to represent you from this moment on. If you've prayed that sinner's prayer, welcome to the table. Come meet this motley crew of misfits, these liars and these thieves. There's no one unwelcome here. All who 